Scott and West Town. We're uh, finishing up our series on the church this morning. Next week, believe it or not, we start our Advent series. And um, I'm going to just jump right into it because i got a lot to say this morning. And I want to get you out of here sort of on time. And I want to ask you to think about what are some things that you normally pray about? What types of things do you pray about? And I want to tell you a little bit about a time when I prayed, and uh, I'm not necessarily proud about this thing that I prayed for. I'm not even sure if I should have prayed for this thing or not. We'll see. I'll, I'll ask the Lord one day. But uh, last summer, August of 2018, I, uh, it was Sunday night baseball on ESPN, and uh, the Cubs were playing the Nationals, and old Max Scherzer, if you know baseball, Max Scherzer, the pretty awesome pitcher and well, he was just making the Cubs look silly all night I mean they just couldn't hit anything so it's three to nothing in the bottom of the ninth and somehow by God's grace the Cubs got two hit batters and an error and they loaded the bases I mean come on so then this guy that nobody knows about named David Bodie he gets sent, sent in to pitch hit and we're like oh great here we go strike it's gonna be the end of it but I was like all right look I'm gonna do this just this once well, that's a lie. I pray for sports a lot. But I prayed, God, would you please let David Bodie hit a grand slam? And I said, probably said something like, I'll never ask you for anything else again. You know? <laughs> so what does David Bodie do? He hits a grand slam and the Cubs win. I mean, it was so awesome. Like everybody in my house was asleep, so I couldn't yell. But like I was yelling on the inside. It's great. Um, that's the type of stuff I pray for. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I got to say, I, I kind of felt a little weird about praying that. I'm like, does God even care about sports? I don't know if he does or not. We'll find out one day. But look, I do want to say, as we, as we talk about what it looks like to be a church that prays, to be a praying people, I do want to say off the bat that God does care about the small details of our lives. I mean, I do think we should pray for the parking spot in the shade, right? Or or like if you're out walking your dog and your dog won't go to the bathroom and all you want to do is just go back inside. Yeah, pray for the dog to go to the bathroom. I mean, come on. Like, sure. I think God wants to hear that stuff. But, but, is that all we pray about? Are, are those types of things the only things we pray about? I think this is important for us to think about because maybe our prayer lives are really kind of just about us. Maybe the things that we pray about are, are mostly just about our plans that we have determined for ourselves and our lives. And maybe, here's a theory that I have, maybe the reason why we don't pray very much, and if we're honest, the reason why we're kind of bored with prayer sometimes is because that's all we pray about is us and our plans. Maybe we're bored because we're just praying for finite short-sighted things that aren't going to matter in a couple of years, let alone 50 or 100 years. See, I think if we look at Scripture and what God has designed prayer to be, I think we're going to see that prayer is meant to get us caught up in the eternal, to get us caught up in God's infinite and eternal plans and desires. It's a way that we awaken to what He is doing in the world and what His plans are and how we can actually be part of that. 
So as we, again, as we look at becoming a praying people, here, here's the main point I want us to think about this morning. Prayer in the Bible is not primarily about asking God to change our circumstances so that we get what we want. It is about God changing our hearts so that we want what He wants. So let's read. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. We're going to read um, from a, a chunk of Luke 11, but we'll just start with the first four verses. Luke 11, 1 through 4. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught His disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So if you, if you know Luke a little bit, you know that this story in Luke 11 comes right after another story at the very end of Luke 10. And that story is the story of Mary and Martha, who are disciples of Jesus and Jesus is coming to see them. He's coming to spend time in their home. And so Martha is like, oh my goodness, the Lord is coming. I've got to prepare. I've got to get everything ready. I've got to get the good silver out. We've got to get all, all the preparations made, right? And so the, even when Jesus comes and he's in their home, Martha is still busy preparing, getting ready. But what's Mary doing? Mary, if you know the story, Mary, it says, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Why? Why does he say that? What he's trying to tell us is, the most important thing you can do, the one necessary thing in life, is to connect with God. To spend time with God. To sit at the feet of God and learn from Him. And relate to Him. All of our all of our preparations and all of our busyness and all of our things that we have scheduled and all the plans that we've made and all the things that we run to day after day, they don't matter. They really don't matter. This is what matters. God and spending time with Him. And so, as we'll talk later, God says to Martha, you're, you're anxious about many things. But man, spending time with Jesus, that's that's the one necessary thing. So then, as we get into Luke 11, what we see Jesus doing, Jesus is praying. He's, he's, off, he's often off in a quiet place, praying. Why does Jesus pray? You ever think about that? Jesus is God. Okay, He's the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit. Why is He praying? He knows everything. Well, it's because praying is primarily about relating to God. It's about relationship. It's not about just asking God for stuff. Jesus wants to pray to His Father because He wants to talk to His Father and have intimate fellowship with Him. And what's crazy about all this is that this infinitely powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God wants to connect with us. Like He wants to know us. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to talk to Him so as Kevin DeYoung says, we should be a people who believe with all of our heart that God listens and loves to answer prayer. Do we believe that? 
Or as Tim Timmons said on Friday night, do we live like we believe that? So prayer is so much more than just going to God like he's some kind of like a genie in a magic lamp granting us wishes. It's so much more than that. And maybe that's why we get confused. Like, so, you know, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And we're like, huh? How do we do that? I mean, we're supposed to constantly have our eyes closed asking God for things? Like, how am I supposed to do that when I also got to work a job and I got to parent kids and I got to go to school and I got to do all this other stuff? Am I supposed to pray while I'm driving with my eyes closed? That's probably not a good idea. Like, how do we do that? Well, look, praying is not, again, it's not primarily about asking God for things. It is about relating to God. So when God, through Paul, tells us to pray without ceasing, he's saying to constantly be relating to God, to constantly be seeking God. So when we seek God in prayer, what should we talk about? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. And the first thing we see is that prayer is first and foremost about God and His glory. Now, a lot of people, we hear the Lord's Prayer, we think it's something we're supposed to recite, right? Like a, almost like a, a ritual, okay? And, and it is something that we recite. It is something that we'll, even just last week, we said it together during the worship service, which is very appropriate. But what I fear is that sometimes we think about the Lord's Prayer almost like it's a magic spell. Like it's a, you know, alohamora type thing, right? We're just going to say it and it's going to, man, nobody laughs at Harry Potter jokes anymore. What's going on here? Like we're, we're just supposed to say it out loud and, and it's going to fix our problems or something. But that's not what is going on here. The, the Lord's Prayer is not just a, a magic spell to recite. It's a model that God gives us for how to pray, how to structure our prayers. And the first part of how we should structure our prayers is to give God glory. So that's why he says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now that word hallowed uh, is a word we don't often use anymore. I don't, I don't know how many of you walk around talking about things being hallowed, other than maybe on Halloween, but it is a word that means holy or set apart or uncommon. So we want God's name to be set apart and holy. Now, you may think that's funny. Isn't God's name already holy? Isn't it already set apart? Well, let's look at what the Bible might be really saying here. In the Bible, often God's name is the same thing as his reputation. So look at Psalm 145.1 real quick. We'll put it on the screen. Uh, it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. The psalmist is basically saying that to exalt and praise God and to exalt and praise God's name is the same thing. I mean, it's just we're praising God. We're worshiping him. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying that God's name would be, would be honored and glorified and set apart, that it would not be used in a way that is just common, like any other name, but set apart. So there are certain names that when you bring those names up in conversation, they invoke a different reaction, right? They just, you say that name and it's like, oh, wow, whoa. I, I used to live in Tennessee for about 10 years, and, and the name in Tennessee was Peyton Manning, right? So we'd be talking, just, you know, shooting the breeze, and then the name Peyton Manning comes up, and it's like all of a sudden there's a pause, and the conversation goes from casual to serious. I mean, we're talking about Peyton Manning now. Whoa. 
Hang on. Okay. Let's recall his mighty works. Never beat Florida, but still. In a greater way, in a greater way, a much greater way, how much more then should we talk about God in a way that is worshipful and honoring, in a way that is set apart? So then we look ahead at Psalm 145, 11 through 12, which says, They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. That's what we want to pray for. We want to pray for God to be made known all over the world, that people everywhere would speak His name in a way that they don't speak any other name, that everywhere people would worship and honor Him and Him alone. That's what we pray for. That's one of the first things we should pray for. And then next we pray, Your kingdom come. So one day Jesus is going to come. Like he's, he's here by his spirit right now, but one day he's going to come back and be here physically with us. And when he does, he's promised, I'm bringing heaven down to earth with me. I'm going to establish a new heaven and a new earth where the whole earth will be my kingdom and everything on it will be made new and perfect. And it will be that way for eternity. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are days when I pray that to happen now. Amen? Anybody else pray that? That you have a bad day, stuff's not going right. Jesus, just come on. I need you to be here. And we should, honestly, we should pray that. We should pray for, for Jesus to come because that is the hope. That's the hope of the nations, that Jesus would, would come and be with us. We should pray for the kingdom of God to come. Now, in that day, it will be a place. Right now, it is more of a way of living. It's a movement. It's, it's God building His church through His people, building His kingdom through His church. So anywhere where people are living according to God's Word, anywhere where people are gathering like we are right now to worship God, anywhere where people are sharing the good news of Jesus, we are seeing the kingdom of God in action. We're seeing it grow. So we should pray for people to know Jesus and to live in obedience to Him. We should pray for people in West Chase, in Tampa, in Florida, in our country, and around the world to come under the rule of King Jesus to say, Jesus is my Lord and none other. We put these two requests together to, to pray for His name to be made holy and for His kingdom to come. What we see is that we should be praying for God to be glorified. And it's a way that we can do, as Matthew 6.34 says, we can seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, this is, this is difficult because, again, as I said at the beginning, we often are praying about our kingdoms, praying about our plans, praying about, praying about our desires and our desires alone. But I, I would ask that let's not settle for that. It's okay for us to pray for our own things, for sure, but let's not settle for that. Because here's the thing. Here's a warning from Proverbs 19.21. It says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Prayer is how we get caught up in the Lord's purposes. Prayer is how we get ourselves a part of, of what is going to prevail, of the eternal, of what God is doing. So what else should we be praying about? Well, the second thing we see here is that prayer is about trusting God with our needs. So again, we are supposed to ask God for things. We're supposed to ask God for the things that we need. And notice 
there is, there is both a physical side to this and a spiritual side to this. All right, so he starts us off with, give us our daily bread. Now, we don't often pray this because we can go down to Publix and get our daily bread, right? We can go to, over to Senior Tequila's and get our daily chips and salsa if we want. I mean, it's, it's pretty available. It's, it's not like we have to think real hard about how we get our food. But honestly, that's, that's a privilege. It's wonderful, but it's also kind of a distraction because it keeps us from being aware of the fact that everything we have comes from God. Every time you sit down to a meal, you eat because God has made it so. Every time you take a breath, it is a gift of God. We're often not aware of that. We take it for granted, but let's not. Let's, instead, let's thank God for what He has given us, what He's been so good to provide for us. And then let's also remember there's probably other people around us in this community that don't always have their needs. And let's make sure that we are praying for those people to have their needs met as well. And I think what we do when we recognize that God is the provider of everything we have, we're not just asking Him for stuff or thanking Him for stuff, we're also relating to Him. We're connecting with Him again. We're coming back and saying, God, what a wonderful provider You are. I want to know more of You. I even want to be like You. And then just as He provides for us physically, He also provides for us spiritually. And that's the next couple of things. He gives us His mercy. He says to pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. We can pray with confidence that God's forgiveness is a sure thing. It's much more sure than our forgiveness for other people, right? Are you perfect at forgiving other people? I am not. Not really. Maybe you're better than me. Sometimes for me, it depends on how much coffee I've had. I don't know. But we are not perfect at that, but God is. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's making a comparison here. You guys are okay maybe at forgiving other people, but God is perfect at it. All those who are in Christ have perfect forgiveness for their sins because of Jesus Christ, because God delights in showing mercy. Now, I want to address really quickly a misconception about why we confess our sins. See, a lot of people believe, I think, that the reason we confess our sins is because if we don't, we might lose our salvation. Like, I've got to confess to God that I, that I thought that thought this morning or that I said that word this morning or that I did whatever thing this morning, and if I don't, I'm at risk. He might cut me off. But that's not in the Bible. Good news, not in the Bible. If you are in Christ, you have zero risk of losing your salvation. Zero. Because guess what? More good news. Your salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on Christ and what he's already done 2,000 years ago on a cross. Your salvation was bought and paid for by his blood on that day. And the only, the only thing where time matters at all in this is that your salvation becomes applied to you at some point. But once that salvation is applied to you and you become a Christian, your forgiveness is secure. So we're not asking God to forgive us over and over again like we've got to keep up our salvation. Here's a quote that I think is really helpful here from a guy who absolutely must be like an Assemblies of God preacher because his name is J.D. Pentecost. It's a great name. Kind of wish I had that name. He says, To confess means that I say the same thing God says 
about my sin. I love that. That is so helpful because now I think I get it. Yes, I... Okay, when I, when I go to God, I say, God, yes, what I have done is offensive to you. I see that. I recognize that. Oh, help me. Cleanse me of this. And let me come back into right fellowship with you. That's what confession is. That's what asking for forgiveness is, is, is relating back to God. See, it's all about relationship. Prayer is all about humbly coming before God in relationship with Him. And then the last thing he says is, is lead us not into temptation. And now we have another issue that we need to kind of address. Because is, is Jesus here saying that God might or could lead us into temptation? Could God cause us to sin? Do we need to pray that he won't cause us to sin? Well, anytime we come across something that's not very clear in the Bible, we need to find something else in the Bible that makes it more clear for us, right? So Scripture interprets Scripture. So let's go to James 1.13. James is super direct, and so we know we're getting something pretty clear with him. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So there's the answer. God does not tempt us. God does not cause us to sin. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, God, protect us from temptation. Do not allow us to be tempted. We should pray this. We should pray to be, for the protection against temptation. And then, if we're tempted, we should pray that we will find the way out that God promises to provide. You know that? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that, that God says, anytime we're tempted, He will provide a way out. There's always a way out. may not be exactly what you're hoping or what you're looking for, but it's there. May we have the spiritual eyes to see it and take it. But if we don't, if we are tempted and we fall into temptation and we sin, guess what? Come back to God in confession. Come back to God in repentance. Back into relationship with God. So in praying this, we are in a place of weakness, right? We're in a place of weakness where we utterly depend on God and His strength. And that is the best place for us to be. We depend on God for everything, spiritually and physically, right down to our daily bread. It is all from Him. And this is a way that we not only seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, but then also, if you know the rest of Matthew 6.34, it says... And all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus has just been talking in that passage about how, why do you worry about the clothes you're going to wear? Why do you worry about the food you're going to eat? God knows you need those things. Don't worry about those. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all those needs will be given to us as well. You know, do you ever find that the only time you pray is when you're desperate? Like you just had a terrible day or, or someone's sick or you lost your job or you you know you're you can't sell your house or something and you start to pray about that but that's really the only time i find that so much in my life but what happens is then we spiral into this this anxiety because the only thing we're praying about is our needs we've forgotten about seeking first the kingdom of god and we become like martha 
<laughs> Remember, Jesus said, Martha, you are anxious about many things. So we are, we are so prone to this in this culture where we have so much because we, we start to think when we only focus on our needs and wants, we start to think that we are the ones that have to provide those things. We start to think that that's our job when really what our job is is to trust God. Now, look, anxiety is something that everybody experiences, and the Bible doesn't say that we should not be anxious, but that we should be anxious and then give it to God. Right? But I do think there is a point where anxiety becomes something that we can control, because anxiety is what happens when we pray to ourselves. Anxiety is what happens when we, are, we think we're self-sufficient. Anxiety is what happens when we think we are alone in providing for ourselves, which is just another way of saying we think we're alone. We're not. We have a good and loving Father who provides everything we have and delights in giving us good gifts. And that's, that's the last point about prayer this morning. Prayer is living out our belief that God is a good Father. I want to read through uh, this last part of, of uh, Luke 11, verses 5 through 13. We'll give a little commentary along the way, too. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Wait a minute. Midnight? Come on. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Dude, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my kids are in bed. Don't you wake them up. You wake up my kids, you will not like what happens. And I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. He is going to get up for two reasons. One, so that you will leave. But two, He's just impressed by the way you asked. <laughs> wow, you had the audacity to come to me at midnight and ask this request of me. I'm kind of impressed. I will give you what you want. So then Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God is not like the neighbor who was woken up at midnight. God is a loving Father who just wants to give us good gifts, who wants to give us the needs that we ask for, who wants to give us especially the desires of our hearts when our hearts are aligned with His hearts, with, with His heart. He's not giving to us just so that we'll stop asking Him. He's not like, fine, here, don't ask me again. No. He loves to give us good things. Jesus confirms this with the next thing he says, which is really kind of weird. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? No. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So look, he's saying, if your kid asks you for a Gatorade, are you going to give him antifreeze? No. 
<laughs> Why? Because you love your kid. If your kid asks you for something good, are you going to give him something lethal? It's going to kill him? No. Because you are a good parent who loves your kid. And in the same way, God is a good God who loves us and delights in giving us good things and wants us to ask Him for those good things with boldness and audacity in a way that we start to understand that, man, we should be asking God for things that only He can do. Paul Miller is a guy who, uh, he's written a lot, but he wrote a book on prayer called A Praying Life. And I really recommend it if you want to read more about prayer. But he said in that book, when you learn to pray, you learn to dream again. Because guess what? Nothing is impossible with God. So when you pray, in particular, when you pray with boldness, asking for the things that you know God desires, what can He not do? So, why do we pray so little, if that's true? Maybe, maybe we don't really know the one to whom we're praying. Maybe we forgot that He's a good Father. Or maybe we're like, we don't believe He's going to answer us. Maybe we think, I'm not worthy. Somebody else, maybe, but not me. But listen, that's, that's, that's off. None of us are worthy. Only Jesus is worthy to actually talk to the Father. And, and that's the whole point of this, is that by His death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, Jesus has made a way for us to talk to the Father. It's like in the Bible when the temple curtain is torn in two, it's saying, unrestricted access in Christ. We have access to the Father. We can talk to God the Father because we know Jesus. And He is worthy. So any of us in Christ can relate to and connect with God the Father. So what if, knowing that, we prayed in such a way where we as a church genuinely sought to connect with God and desire the things that He desires? Let me just share with you something that is personal that I think applies here. And I'm not trying to, you know, this is definitely not me bragging or anything. Jennifer and I are, are going to adopt again. We're adopting a boy from Taiwan. We haven't been matched with him yet, but uh, we hope to be, and uh, we hope that this time next year he'll be here. Um, so we don't know when that's going to happen. It's a lot of unknowns. Um, but, you know, this began earlier this year when Jennifer was, was talking about this, and I was like, nah. Three boys is enough. Now, there's probably some people in this room that are like, hey, I got five boys. Don't talk to me about enough. But then I was like, all right, I'll pray about it. So I was praying about it and over the course of a few weeks, and one day I was like, I'm taking a walk, and I was like, i got to pray and really spend some time with God. And I said, all right, God, here's the deal. I know that you tell us in your word that it's a good thing for us to care for orphans and widows. And I don't know if that means that I need to adopt another orphan or, or if I'm already doing enough or, or whatever, right? I don't know how to make this decision, God. That's what I said. I don't know how to make this decision. So the only thing I know how to do is just take a step of faith. And I said, God, if you want this to happen, you will make it happen. So we'll just trust you and we'll start it. We'll start the process. And, and we recognize fully, if you don't want it to happen, you will stop it. 
Well, guess what? God is blowing the doors open. He is making it happen. People have been so awesome. People have prayed for us and supported us, and, and like everything so far has, has been God screaming to us, yes, that's what I want you to do. Do we ever do anything like that? Do we ever step into the eternal a little bit? Do we ever get to a place where we're desiring something greater than our own plans for our lives? Where we're saying to God, God, I want more of what you want, and I want to be part of more of what you're doing. I think that's what prayer is about. We had this awesome Tim Timmons guy up here Friday night. He was incredible. That's the first time I've seen him. And, you know, he's battled cancer for a really long time. He talked about how his oncologist is a Christian. And uh, she said she sees a lot of people who are facing death, and they all pray. But very few of them surrender. And I thought, yeah, that's what this is about. That's what Jesus is saying. Surrender to me in prayer. Watch what happens when you surrender to me in prayer. Watch what happens when you say, yes, I want your desires and your plans and not mine. Watch what happens. I think that's what Jesus and how Jesus wants us to pray. What if as a church, we all got caught up in seeking God's glory? What if as a church, we prayed knowing and even delighting in the truth that we are absolutely dependent on God for everything? What if we as a church prayed for God to carry out his grand plan to get the gospel to the nations? And what if we prayed with such boldness and audacity that we even got, ask God to use us in that plan however he sees fit. Whatever you want, God, we're there. Here we are, send us. What if we, Westtown Church, prayed that way? What do you think would happen? Let's find out. Let's pray.